0: Well, good morning, family of Christ. This is Pastor Mark Marino, and I am in beautiful Germany. Uh, I got a little bit more of an extended stay here than I bargained. But uh, the good news is, as I speak to you this morning, this will be uh, prayerfully the last recorded sermon. Uh, The next one gets to be live and in person. So I'm excited for the opportunity. Uh, So grace you and peace from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So our topic for this morning is the two atoms. And there's a reading from the book of Romans. Uh, I know at the 8 o'clock service oftentimes we have a lector that reads that lesson. At the uh, 10.30 service, uh, usually it'll be the person preaching. So I want to just read to you this uh, portion for consideration this morning. Again, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For For one will scarcely die for a righteous person... For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So that's our text to consider for this morning. So this idea of the two atoms, this idea that Paul brings about in Romans, but certainly we see it in other areas of scripture, is this wonderful throwback for me. This idea of a champion. This idea of one who would fight on behalf of another. As a matter of fact, um, I'm gonna grab my notes here. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we see in ancient literature is that this idea of single combat, this idea that that there would be a champion brought up amongst the people who would fight on their behalf. Uh, so sometimes this would save entire armies from having to <clears throat> go into battle. They would pick the, the victor, the champion, from their one side to fight the victor champion from the other side. And this is found in Egyptian texts. This is found uh, certainly in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, we see this uh, in different cultures, different areas. Um, And and it's amazing. And I'd like to say that it actually still exists today. Even today we see this happen. I mean, in many respects, uh, even something as simple as the Olympics, you have single people that are competing amongst the entire country they live in, and then they are the champions. They are the ones who go and represent that country as they compete on a national stage, as an international stage, I suppose. Um, And so uh, I think that's also one of the reasons why uh, you know superheroes are, are such a, a big deal or even celebrities and politicians quite frankly because the idea that maybe some people have is that they were just like us they put their you know pants on one leg at a time kind of thing and uh, they came from perhaps humble beginnings but now they've been raised and now they uh, go out and do something amazing and they do it for the people at least that's the idea so um, uh, this idea of single combat is uh, one that I think undergirds a lot of different texts throughout scripture. But even here, we talk about the two Adams, right? And we know the first Adam, right, being Adam himself. Uh, Adamah means dirt in Hebrew, and so, so Adam was made from Adamah. Um, and, and God breathes into him life, right? And so Adam was created perfect, uh, Adam was uh, without sin, and uh, Eve also created perfect and without sin, and yet then it's Jesus, right, who would be born All those years later, as a fulfillment of God's promise. Uh, He is born without sin, and he is really the second Adam, right? He is the one uh, by whom and through whom we have life, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Paul is really clear about that in the entire book of Romans, but in specific, uh, this text in chapter 5, which I find absolutely amazing and insightful. Um, uh, One of the things that I enjoy about this text, when you start pulling apart, is that uh, early in that text, we get that phrase um, at just the right time, right? And uh, some of you know, uh, I, I've kind of made this distinction before, I think, in previous sermons or Bible studies. Um, we, get, we get a couple words for time in the English language. We use adverbs and uh, adjectives and things like that to kind of denote what exactly we mean by the time we're speaking about. But in Greek, there are at least two major uh, or different words for, for time, uh, one is chronos and one is Kairos. Kronos, we get the word chronological, the idea of an ordered sequential time, uh, something that, that's a season, something that, that uh, is a predictable um, sequence. But then there's Kairos, which is kind of more of like just the right time. So um, I don't know how, you know, there's probably a lot of different, uh, deeper ways that I could make the distinction, but I'll say it this way. Uh, First, I'm gonna admit by, I don't cook very well, uh, especially now after a year of deployment, I don't cook very well. Um, But uh, you can read the directions on how to make a dish, and it'll say, you know, uh, add this to that, and then bake it for an hour, right? Uh, Now, there are people who are gonna set the timer for an hour, and they won't look at it until the timer goes off. But then there's other people, and I call these people I-know-how-to-cook people, Uh, they kind of look at what's going on in the oven and they decide by the look of it whether it's the right time to pull it out. And oftentimes, because they're really good at cooking, they know exactly when to pull the the item out of the oven or or when to flip it or when to fry it or when to, all that kind of stuff. They just know the right time. It comes with experience, it comes with practice, it comes with all those sorts of things. But here in this text, Paul is saying something pretty profound. He's saying that at just the right time, God, who is rich in love, right, saw us who were powerless, us who are opposed to God, um, while we were still sinners, right? Christ died for us. He died for us, uh, these ungodly sinners that we are. Now, uh, I, I love that text, one of the most beautiful, sweet, gospel-laden passages, that here I am talking about this idea that there is a champion, there's one who represents us, one who goes to fight for us, one who redeems us, and his name is Jesus Christ. And it says in this text that God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were actively opposed to God. We were fighting him tooth and nail. We were dragging our feet. We wanted nothing to do with him. And yet God himself, who is rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love, one who redeems us from our own sin, he's the one who pursues us. He's the one who makes us right with his Father. And so God's love is demonstrated in the fact that he would not give up on us, that he would not turn his back on us, that he would never forget or forsake us. You know, this whole idea of the two Adams, this idea that that sin enters the world through Adam's trespass, and death through that trespass, to then give way to the hope of resurrection. You know, uh, sometimes I'll hear people kind of um, want to pin uh, something bad, a blame, on one person. It's your fault, and they'll say there's reasons why. You know, uh, in my own life, I know that I heard uh, some baseball fans want to blame uh, a man by the name of Mr. Bartman, uh, for reaching out and, and trying to catch a foul ball. And and some people blamed him for the outcome of the game because maybe the outfielder could have made a play on it, but it was in foul territory. Anyway, I guess we'll never know. But there are a lot of people that really blame that person. Or if you want to go to a different area, uh, sometimes it can be a player on the field who makes a, a mistake. Uh, you know, a baseball uh, rolls right between their legs or or they strike out and it ends the game and people say, oh, if that guy wouldn't have done that, we would have won. Um, But nobody really wins the scapegoat game. Um, As a matter of fact, in our own personal lives, sometimes we try this. We try to blame other people for our mistakes and for the outcomes in our life. And um, one of the things we need to understand about our own walk with God and our own faith is that we can't blame anybody for our sin. We can't blame anybody for the mistakes that we make. For the times that we speak harshly against others, the times that we treat other people poorly, We can't say they started it, even if they did. That doesn't give us an excuse. It doesn't give us a reason to treat them poorly. And so what do we do then? We look at texts like this, where Paul talks about the fact that grace, life, and forgiveness come to us through Jesus Christ, the person, work, life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the idea, the knowledge, the truth, the sweet truth that God is with us. And in this text, Paul makes no bones about it. He even says the gift is not like the trespass, for Christ is preeminent. Christ took all that garbage that we have, that we are, onto himself, and it died on the cross. All that bad stuff, that sometimes we want to blame on Adam or Eve, sometimes we want to blame it on anybody but us, Christ says, put that upon me. I will put that to death, and I will raise it to life again. Now, some of you know that one of my favorite things in all of, well, one of my favorite things is, um, is uh, literature. I really enjoy that. And I want to share with you just for a moment um, a bit about a guy named John Donne. Some of you probably know all about John Donne. Some of you may have never heard his name before. I guarantee you, you know some of his poems. He's a metaphysical poet, and he was... Um, sometimes referred to as St. John and uh, Jack the Rake. Uh, so he kind of had secular and sacred poetry, and uh, at any rate, um, he has a, uh, a passage in his uh, poem, uh, Hymn to God, My God, In My Sickness, where he says this, We think that paradise and Calvary, Christ's cross and Adam's tree, stood in one place. Look, Lord, and find both atoms met in me. As the first Adam's sweat surrounds my face, may the last Adam's blood my soul embrace. Um, St. John, I mean, what are you gonna say? Uh, he's, he's got uh, a f- powerful insight here, and one that I think that Romans 5 speaks to. The truth that God, in his love, has the final word. Yes, there are two atoms. And if you recall, Adam was created to be perfect. He was created to be in fellowship with God and to uh, enjoy that relationship, right? The Father was to delight in his creation and and sin ruined all that, right? And so in this second Adam, the second Adam called Christ, again, a son, a creation, one that is um, not only fulfilling the Father's will, one that redeems that creation that has fallen. So both Adams met in me. May the Lord be with you and bless you this day. In the name of Jesus. Amen.